Welcome to the official podcast of North Park Church. Today is Mission Sunday at North Park, and Pastor Chris and our mission team for the recent Nicaragua missions trip in October 2022 are sharing about their experience, what God has done in their lives, and what God is doing in the community there in Nicaragua. We pray that this podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with God and will help you in your journey to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. So if you're familiar with the book of Mark, uh, Mark is written, and here's an easy one, by Mark. Now Mark is writing uh, from the first account of Simon Peter. Mark spent uh, the, le- the latter half of Simon Peter's life being kind of a personal assistant. He did ministry with both the Apostle Paul and Simon Peter. And so he was a very important person historically for us. And here's why, okay? And Blair and Micah can relate to this. Mark grew up in the house where most scholars believe the first church started meeting. And so when your mom hosts church, you have to serve. So if you're like them and you've had to run ProPresenter since you were four, uh, you know what Mark was going through. Mark was raised in church. He had no choice but to go to church. It was in his house. Um, and he grew up and, and he, he began to, to explore his faith. Um, and he writes down the firsthand account of what Simon Peter experienced with Jesus. And he tells us this story here in Mark chapter 11. Um, Now on the slides, it'll start a little bit earlier, but I'm going to start reading in verse 7 to allow some more time for our missionaries to share. But verse 7 says this, And they brought the colt to, to Jesus and threw the cloaks on it. So Jesus gave some instructions to get this particular animal and, and have it where it needs to be. Uh, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread the leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our, of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Um, I just want to just kind of think about this idea for a moment. Uh, Psalm 118 Psalm 118 shares the context of what Jesus has just done. Jesus has done something very specific, very calculated. And here's what he does. He instructs his disciples to get this particular animal, to be ready to ride into town through a certain gate at a very certain time to make a statement. And here's what that statement would be. Every Jew would know that there was a a, a Psalm 118, a royal song of thanksgiving for military victory. So what this was, is this was a demonstration of saying, Caesar is not king, Jesus is king. And he rides in, and the people are celebrating, and they embrace this, and they want this, and the people are excited, but something happens. In fact, John tells us about it in his gospel. It says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And here's verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He rides in on this donkey and people are saying, Hosanna. It's a term. They're celebrating. They're saying, this is the end of Rome. He's the Messiah. He's the one we're looking for. He is going to change things for us. We're not going to be oppressed anymore. And the religious leaders are nervous because if you mess with Rome, Rome tends to mess back. And when they did this, they were afraid that the Romans would come in and shut down the temple and shut down this entire system of worship. And some of these religious leaders were making good money. And they enjoyed their political influence. They enjoyed the power. They enjoyed people listening to them and wanting to hear from them. He looked around at everything, and it was already late. And so he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he he goes to the temple, this very important, very busy place. He looks around. He kind of surveys things. And then he heads back out. And verse 12 says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Okay? And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything to eat on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Now this part's very important. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now Jesus, sometimes I've heard this, this passage talked about. 
and, and they kind of present it as if Jesus was cursing the fig tree for not giving him figs when it wasn't even the season for figs. So is Jesus just a really bad farmer? Or did Jesus know something that everybody in that culture at that time knew? And there was actually two seasons that this particular plant would produce. And during this season, it wouldn't be figs. It would be these nodules that you could eat and they would produce and they were there. And from a distance, this plant looked alive and thriving and producing something. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, why is that a big deal? Why did his disciples go, oh, whoa, what did you just say? Well, here's why. The fig tree in the Jewish culture was directly tied into the temple. Okay, it was almost kind of a, not a mascot, but, but similar. Like when you thought of the temple, if you had to have kind of a logo on a hat, you might use the fig tree. And so Jesus makes a statement about this fig tree, but he's actually making a statement about something much bigger. He's saying, be careful when you look like you have life, but what's really there is death. Be careful when from a distance you look like you're producing fruit, but when anyone actually gets close enough, they actually see that there's death. And so when Jesus curses this, he's actually talking about something else, and his disciples get so nervous and they're like, please, Jesus, are we really going to do this? Are you really going to confront people now? Because there's literally thousands of people right now that have come to celebrate Jewish holidays at the temple. The city's packed. Is this really the best time? Your popularity is growing. And here's what happens. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, and he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So Jesus goes into the temple, and it's packed out. And he begins to flip over tables. One account of the story says he takes time to make a whip. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip, okay? But, but Jesus wasn't just angry in the moment. He took the time. I don't know if he's mumbling under his breath. Could you imagine being able to make a whip? Like, I have four kids. If I was like, I'll be back. I'm going to my room, and you know what's going to happen. I'm going to make my whip. And when I get back, if you're still living here, and if you're not an adult, I'm, I'm getting you, Okay? And so Jesus makes this whip. Jesus comes in. What is he doing? Well, actually, it was okay that they had tables. And it was okay that they were selling things. And it was okay that there was doves. It was just where they set it up and how they were doing it. You see, there was a particular part of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was an area specifically for people who were not Jewish, but were interested in the Jewish God. And so they would gather there, and it was supposed to be a place of quiet reflection and prayer so they could hear from God. But what they did is they brought this kind of flea market atmosphere into the one place that those people could go. And instead of pointing the way to God, they were actually getting in the way of people experiencing God. And not only that, it was a really corrupt system. You see, they were supposed to sell uh, sacrifices because people traveled a long way. And when you traveled a long way and you had to bring an animal to sacrifice, part of that system, it needed to be pure. It needed to meet certain specifications. And if that particular thing, if you were bringing that animal and it got sick or it died or just literally traveling now is difficult with four kids. If we had to pack a bunch of sheep in the car, it would be impossible. And so they would travel. And so the temple said, we will sell you sacrifices that are acceptable. In the same way that Disney World sells you ponchos when it's raining, right? They charge you so much money. And what they would do is they would actually charge 15 times the amount of fair market price to buy something to sacrifice. But if you believe this was the only way you could connect with God, you would do it. And not only that, these people would travel from Egypt and all over the world, and they would have their currency, and they would need to exchange it to pay a Jewish temple tax that was a shekel. And so when they would exchange it, they made the exchange rate ridiculous. They were price gouging these people. But the worst part for Jesus is they set up this busy market in the middle 
of the temple, in the middle of the area where people were supposed to experience God. And Jesus gets very upset because here's what Jesus was seeing. Just like the fig tree, the temple was busy, but it was diseased and it was dying and nobody paid attention. You see, the people were in motion. They were busy, but they were not on mission. Jesus later shares a passage and he reads an Old Testament scroll and he says, He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery to the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, This is what I've come to do. And you guys are in motion, but you're not on mission. And so we have to ask ourselves, as a church and as people, I don't think anyone would argue that we're not active. We're busy. You're busy in life. You're busy at work. We're busy in church. We've got events. We've got things going on. We've got services. But we constantly have to step away and say, I'm in motion. I'm doing something. But like that fig tree or like the temple, is there a lot of activity? Is there a lot of motion, but there's not a lot of mission? And Jesus tells us a part of his mission here is to preach the good news to the poor. So I want to ask you this question. What does it look like to preach the good news to the poor? What would it look like for North Park to not just be in motion but on mission? Part of the way we do that is through world missions. I have a video I want to show you guys of our trip, and then we're going to have some great folks share with us. We just want to take just a a few moments, and and I've asked some folks to share, and then after uh, they all share, we're going to bring the whole team up, and we're going to say a prayer and just kind of set the tone for, for what missions will look like in the future for North Park. And so, Stacy, if you would, just, just share what's on your heart from the trip. Sure. So, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, first, I, you know, how do you capture a week of something that is life-changing like what we experienced uh, a few weeks ago? So, first of all, I love this North Park family. One of the big benefits we got in gifts was to get to know a lot of people within our church, and I'm never going to forget the relationships we built that week and the stories we shared. But one of the things is I tried to capture what I felt like one of the biggest highlights for me, certainly the shock and awe of the situation these families live in. I know day one was very heavy for all of us when you walked up and we drove up and we saw the trash dump and the facilities that these folks lived in their houses and just how bad it was. But one of the things that will stick for me forever, and I shared this with Pastor Chris, is to see the church at work in that community. And what I mean by that, if you go back to the book of Acts and you see the birth of the new church and um, just the way the Holy Spirit worked in the church, it was so evident that that's what was happening in this community. The role the church played where they were discipling people, doing small groups. One of the houses we built, the family was going to start a small group there. Uh, I think 40 people were baptized the week before we got there. But just to see God's spirit there and then to see this passion, their family pouring into the lives. As we were building these houses, the pastor was there with us every day, digging you know, holes, mixing concrete, nailing nails, whatever he had to do just to be a part of that community. And so for me, seeing the church in action, and then the beautiful part is around day three, we went to another community where they were doing a church plant. So to see the church have the impact in that community and then try to replicate that in another community so people learn about God, learn about who Jesus is. Uh, that hit me in a big way, and I think about what we're doing here at church and our community impact we can have, so that's something that will stay with me for a long, long time, and I'm just very grateful for the opportunity. Um, and so uh, Tracy's going to share in just a second, and just to kind of review, if, if you're like, what did you guys do? We went to Central America, and we partnered with an organization called Hope Project, and we built one house per day. We split up into different teams. Uh, I would love to say that we were not competitive, but we were. Um, but we, we built two houses per day. There was one other team that built a house as well. So by the end of that five days, nine homes were built uh, for families that at one point were just living on the dirt under trees. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about building, and there's a local pastor and church there that we run everything through. And so, Tracy, if you'd, if you'd share. Okay, so I had to take notes. Can y'all hear me? Because um, this is not my comfort zone. And I wanted to make sure I kind of covered everything that was on my heart. Um, So I really could sit here and talk to you all all day about all the favorite moments. There's just so, so, so many in just a short period of time. Um, And so I really did find it 
almost impossible to summarize the week, to like compact it and put it in a minute or two. Um, but what I decided to do was to more talk about um, kind of my takeaway from being on my, th so this was my third mission trip. And I had been to Ecuador a couple times before. And um, so going on the mission trips, like, what I like, what my favorite thing I think to observe is um, watching God move in so many different ways, like in just the little things and the big things. And, the, you know, we ran into some roadblocks with building and different things. And then, like, within seconds, it was turned around and, and, and into something so much greater and so much better for this community. Um, and I like watching people. Like, so... Um, I watch them from afar because um, I'm kind of a wallflower. I like to people watch. I don't always get into the midst of, you know, conversation and stuff. But um, I watch people answer the call. They are being obedient and courageous um, and showing up to help and serve and give in whatever capacity they can. And for each person, that's different. Um, sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Um, I watch people uh, step out of their comfort zone. They're showing up in an unfamiliar environment. Maybe they've never flown out of the country, um, and they're nervous, they're uncertain, um, and probably wanting to, like, bail, you know, wanting to walk away. And it's like, I don't think I can do this. Um, but instead, they trusted God, and they stepped out in faith. Um, and in that, that's when you witness, if you just observe, you witness the, the life-changing impacts that it has on not only all of us and you, and, but the people in that community. Um, it's just, it's really hard to put into words. Um, if, you, if you haven't been on a mission trip, like, it's, it's just, it's so powerful. Um, I like um, watching people come together from all different backgrounds and you know, we all seamlessly just work together uh, for the same purpose. Uh, connecting and laughing and forming new relationships and friendships. Um, learning to be flexible, because we're all probably a little bit of a planner. Um, we take risks there and open, it opens your heart and your eyes and your minds to other cultures, other ways of life, um, which ultimately teaches us a little more compassion, um, teaches us to be more humble more appreciation and gratitude for the life God has blessed us with. Um, and lastly, like the, the last three years, for some of you know, some of you don't know, but the last three years have been a big struggle for me um, in many ways. And in that, sometimes you lose, um, you lose your purpose or you misplace it. Let's just say you misplace it. Um, but going on this trip and with these folks and it has totally re, re, uh, what's the word I was looking for? Reignited the spark that I have for mission trips. Um, I'm passionate about that, and I'm super fired up about next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. Um, it's really hard um, to put into words, like I said, about what a mission trip is like, but the best ways to describe it is it is everything in seven days. PA says all the time, two realities can coexist at the same time. And it definitely does on a mission trip. Um, it's physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally demanding. Um, Y'all have never sweated until you go down there. <laughs> um, and But you can experience laughter and crying and sadness and happiness, anger, exhaustion, excitement, nervousness, closeness, patience, gratitude. It's profound. It's powerful. It's quiet, it's loud, it's dirty, and sometimes it's all of that is all at the same time, but it is so, so worth it. I don't know if y'all oh, yeah. Um, we're going to hand it over to Miss Kim. Uh, Miss Kim is, as you know, uh, everyone in Miss Kim's family can sing really well, and uh, it's not a very good kept secret in that everybody very found out very quickly that she could sing, and so they would ask her to sing. Uh, Miss Kim is a vice principal. She is a very strong woman, but she also made us laugh a lot. And so, Miss Kim, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, so this um, was my first 
mission trip. I'm not going to say that I wanted to go. I'm going to tell you why I went. I went because my children, so Caitlin and Joelin, said, Mom, we want to do this. We want to do that. And sometimes I think I'm young. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, and so I was going to make sure, and this is, I'm going to make a point with it, to make sure that they were okay. As a mother, you want to make sure your children are okay. Um, I remember praying you know, God, whatever it is why I'm going, I was so anxious. Please let me find out whatever it is I'm supposed to find out. Please, you know, show up for us. Um, this was a trip that if I never knew what North Park meant to me, I did on that trip. And they, the, this group of people was absolutely amazing. They took care of me and my children. <laughs> um, they always made sure I had a Coke. That was very important. If you wanted me to take my blood pressure medicine and my little blue pill, yes, so I don't go off on anybody, yes. So they made sure um, that we were good. We were good. We got to work with another church. Um, and at first there was some kind of like, oh, who are, who are you? Okay, and, and what do you think you can serve? Um, and so I had to make sure, you know, I wanted them to know that we were all under one purpose, and we were there to do the work of God. Um, so you said it hit you on day one. It didn't hit me till day three. And day three was the hardest day for me. The hardest day because I knew this was the last day that I had a chance to make a difference. I questioned if I made a difference at all. I questioned if I lived the way I was supposed to in front of them. Um, when I was asked to pray over a single mother, it took my whole mind back to when my children were young. I didn't know where the next meal was coming from. I didn't know if we was going to be still living in the hotel or if we, it was a mess. So for me to reach and be able to touch this lady and pray for her and let her know that you're going to make it because if God came and did it for me, he can do it for you. That was amazing. Um, it was just hard. It, you, you saw what the children had to go through. They had to pay to go to school. Some had to stay there and work with their fathers. We had little, little young babies, <laughs> these little boys. Um, I didn't know what to do with the mortar. I, hey, you just tell me what to do, and I slap it on there. I don't know if I'm doing it right or not. But the little boy looked at me, and he said, and I could not speak to them. That was the other hard thing. I can't speak. I can barely speak English, so speaking in another language. Was, and sometimes the little girl in the pink, she was my favorite. I think about her every day. She doesn't know me. I don't even remember her name, but I think about her every day. But she would be talking, and she would say, and I'd say, I see, I papi, okay. But I didn't know not one word she said. She didn't know what I was saying. But to know that we made that connection and that I just fell in love. Um, but it was hard, the, the situations that they were in. Um, the last thing that got me, and then I'm going to pass on, it didn't have anything to do with I was already sad. I was bad. You know, I came home, showed that video to my staff, showed that video to my students because I wanted them to see, you know, you need to have an attitude of gratitude because that is exactly what I had coming out. But the best thing apart about that trip was it was six of us and we were supposed to get on a flight. We had been there at the airport. It was long. I was tired. I was tired. Um, and I thought all six of us was going to get on. It was me, Joel, and Caitlin, my, my, my daddy, and um, Craig and Ian. And I thought we were all going to get on. They called our name to come up, and Craig went up, and he gave everybody's name, I thought. And then he turned around and only had three tickets. And he gave those tickets to us and told us three to go on. When I tell you the hurt, y'all remember on the Titanic when he put <laughs> Rose on the boat and he said, I'm coming, I'm coming. But he, but he just never came. When they closed the door and, and they didn't come through that door to get on that plane, when I, the man beside me, I said, ooh, ooh, 
<laughs> the man said, are you okay? I said, they le I left, I had to leave my husband and son. Because we had been lying the whole time saying that we were, well, we, we were family. So, yes, but anyway, okay, cut it, okay. But anyway, long story short, I loved this trip. It was a good trip, but it gave us the attitude of gratitude. And I don't know what else I would do. I'm glad I went, but I don't know if I'll go again. Okay, thank you. Just want to throw that out there. If, if Spanish is your first language, we apologize. It sounded really good, but okay, I, I don't know if you, you said. Uh, but no, we we appreciate that so much. Miss Kim kept us laughing for sure. Um, the next person you hear from is is Thais. Uh, she is married uh, to Pastor Marcelo, and they head up all of our worship and creative elements at church. Um, she is an incredible photographer. And she is the mom to a sweet little boy named Noah. And so she stopped everything. She had weddings that she needed to do uh, photography for. And she left everything to go on this trip. And so we just want to take a moment to, to hear from Thais. Ooh, okay. So is this on? I don't even know. Okay. This terrifies me. I'm just going to put it out there. I do not like stages. I'm married to Marcelo, but I, I really don't like the situation. But I was talking to Jolene and Miss Kim and Caitlin, and I was telling them that if I felt like I had to share, I was going to share. And I'm going to cry, so I'm just going to, you know, put that out there. When we were going to this missions trip, I was very, very focused on what I was going to give. And I was like, I'm going to go. And everybody that I would talk to about this would tell me, you are oh my gosh, you're going to come back so renewed and fulfilled. And uh, I was going with that mindset, you know, like I'm going to help these people. I'm, I'm going to build houses and it's going to be very rewarding. But then I got there and it was very, very different than I thought it was going to be because I was given way more than I gave. And I, as soon as I set foot on that place, I was emotional I was praying that God would help me some, somehow communicate because Portuguese is my first language. It is not Spanish, okay? Uh, <laughs> so when I got there, everybody looked at me like I, I knew what I was doing, and I did not. Um, so I just prayed really hard that God would give me opportunity to somehow communicate with the people that we're going to be serving and just... Um, see why I was there, you know, and we had a lot of, a lot of opportunities to just build community with those people. Um, we served families that have been praying for a house. Okay, you'll wait. You'll be my friend. So at the end of the whole 
building day. I came to him and I asked him again, are you my friend? He's like, yes. And he gave me a big hug and a big smile. And those kids are so grateful. So, yeah, I guess that's what I have. <laughs> Did you share? Um, oh, I wait, first, first. So, Jolin, I, I kind of give you a little intro. So, Jolin and Jeremy, I um, had the opportunity. So, I had planned to go on this trip. But then I had the opportunity to go a week early. So I, you know, I came to Ashley, my wife, and I said, I might be gone two weeks. And she said, if you want to do six weeks, that's okay. And I was like, but it's two weeks. And she said, if you need to stay for a year. So I don't know what all that means, uh, but I went. And, and I was there and did a, uh, a pastor's conference there. And the pastors there, they, they've got different campuses, as, as some of us have mentioned, as uh, Stacy had mentioned, there's different campuses. And so we gathered all the pastors together. And just did some training on theology and doctrine and, and, and you know, just sharing your faith and what that looks like. Um, but for me to be able to do that, I realized that 14 people going on a trip they had never been on were going to have to navigate. And some of them travel all the time for business, but to travel out of the country. Um, and I always laugh when I think about Angie Betts because I was always saying, I'll be with you every step of the way until I was like, hey, by the way, I'm already going to be there. Uh, so you're going to have to go into a country where a language you do not speak and imagine TSA, but you can't understand them. OK, that's that's what uh, you're going through. And I reached out to Jeremy and Jolin and I said, guys, I want to I want to be a part of this pastor's conference. But in order for that to happen, I need some some people that will just kind of help encourage and help guide. And, and Jeremy and Jolin did a fantastic job with that. And I appreciate you guys doing that so much. So now that I got to brag on you, go ahead. You're very welcome. Um, and I feel like Jeremy did most of the hard parts. There were some there were some hiccups when we were trying to get people's passports through and boarding passes and Jeremy stayed with people. I like kind of headed off and then I looked behind me and half of everybody was gone and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was it was pretty easy and um, Again, this is a really fantastic group of people. Um, I wanted to try and paint more of a picture of what we saw every day because I feel like you keep hearing us talk about it, and you saw the video, but, like, um, like there are highways, and, you know, it, it kind of looks like maybe if you've ever been to California, like, it's dry and it's hot, and then when you go to the barrio where we went, it turns into, like, muddy roads and, like, some things the truck can't even get down, the van can't even get down, um, and when we say houses, like, we really mean a room that is like still very hot and um at the end of our third day one of the the dad was like i we dedicated the house which is already so emotional and we're praying and we have an interpreter and it's so emotional and he says you know i'm just thankful that my kids won't get wet anymore and i think all of us kind of took a step back to be like because we had all been checking the weather before we left and there was a hurricane in Nicaragua right before we came. And so heavy rains and winds, and we're reading the weather, thinking about, like, if we're going to get there and what we're going to do and if we bring our rain jackets and what shoes are we going to wear. And, like, there are people that are just sleeping um, or trying to during a hurricane. So it was it was a lot of really hard situations like that, but I don't, I don't want to sit up here and make you think that it's all desolate and like everybody's crying when you go into the neighborhood like that's not it at all like we went to the church which is four posts and like a roof and then it's open air and um kids came to get bracelets um Tracy was so sweet and brought friendship bracelets and we were making them and Caitlin was doing such a good job painting nails for kids and um we were praying and someone tapped my mom and was like hey can I get a bracelet and so we're trying our hardest to communicate, and mom sneaks off, and all of a sudden she's in this huge game of tag with kids, and they're just playing and having the best time. And, you know, it really showed me that um, joy is supernatural um, despite circumstance. And so they definitely are sweating all the time, and they definitely, um, there were people that were helping us build the house in concrete, in tube socks, in flip-flops, in bare feet, like, they were just happy to have work, and, and when I say happy, I really mean joyful, like, filled with joy, like, we could all see it and feel it, and it was so powerful, it really was, and um, it just felt like God was there, and he was showing us so much each and every day, and it was so special, and um, I just, I hope that more of you guys get to have experienced that joy, because it was incredible. Yeah, so, 
uh, as she mentioned, the houses are 12 by 12. And so uh, they, they dig a foundation, and then they'll put a row of blocks. These blocks weigh about 80 pounds apiece, and then when they're wet, they weigh about 100 pounds. And so we, you, you do these rows, we do some mortar, um, and then they'll put tin around the, the sides of the walls, the roof, a door. And then the last thing we'll do is mix concrete. And we do that with shovels, we're sifting, and it, that's, that's the process. And they, they do it so efficiently, and, and we work right alongside. And by building with some, some locals there, not only uh, does the $1,000 pay for, so as a church and your generosity, um, $1,000 builds a house. It doesn't just build the house. It pays for the materials. It pays some of the workers who help with the house. It provides two months' worth of groceries, a crib for any baby, and a bed for everyone else that sleeps in that house. And so all of that is done in one day for $1,000. And it's an incredible, incredible opportunity to be a part. And everybody's got these stories of how they made an impact and who they think of. There's one young man I think of every day, but it's not because I spoke a word into his life. It's not because I changed his life. It's because I bumped one of the blocks with my belly and it fell on his foot. And, and he looked at me and I was just, I didn't know how to say I'm sorry in Spanish, but I'm, I, I may have broken his toe. And the last thing I can remember is him just looking like, dude, you come all the way here. And you break my toe. And so that, that was tough. But we had a, another pastor with us on the trip. Uh, this is Pastor Aubrey. He uh, has been a, a Baptist minister for many years, done some incredible things. He's an author and just an all-around. Uh, he was just kind of the hero of the trip in that he brought uh, the other team together uh, with us. There was another team there. And uh, we just appreciate him so much. Pastor Aubrey, would you share, share about your experience? We got Is it? it on? Yep, you're good. Okay. All right. I uh, I won't take but a few, few moments, but I think looking back on this situation for me, uh, I think it's very appropriate that I went when I was thinking there's nothing I can do. Uh, there's no no reason for me to go on this trip because I'm not able to do the things to build. I'm 81 years old and uh, have been in good shape most of my life, but because COVID came along and I quit going to the gym and quit running, I sort of deteriorated. And I thought, well, there's nothing I can really do. And so uh, I didn't, didn't uh, particularly want to go. But because uh, my, my son-in-law and grandson was going, I went. And I found something out when I, as I went. Because God encapsulated the whole time sort of as a recap of my ministry. I've been in the ministry for 60 years. And when I started out, I really thought that I was going into the ministry for, to help other people. I thought I had something to give to them. But I found out that I really didn't. And I found out as time goes on that God had given me a gift. And that gift was to work with other people and to take aspects of their personality and, and make it my own. And the people that I worked with, Christians in the churches that I served, uh, they were a magnificent help. And on this week that we spent together, I found the same thing happening again. I found that these people actually made it happen again for me. And once again, I lived my ministry the whole 60 years again. Because, you see, I, what I did... I didn't do anything and I wasn't used to doing. I just walked around trying to look busy, look like I was doing something, and I really wasn't. Um, but they were doing the work, and, and they made it work, and they blessed me uh, every kind of way there possibly could be so that now, as I prepare to go out of not only the ministry eventually, uh, but life was, as it ends for me eventually down the road somewhere, I'm going to go out a much richer man. Because when I started my ministry, I worked with uh, my wife and I worked with uh, folks from uh, Cuba who had come out of Castro's Cuba, and they were had, had been heartbroken. And we joined that mission church, and I could speak Spanish at that time. I was fluent, but now it's, it's all gone because if you don't lose, if you don't use it, you lose it. But I remember those Cubans and how it was that they were happy and didn't really have real much reason to be happy. And I saw the people in Nicaragua, and I thought, why are they so happy? And then I realized that many of them know the Lord. They're Christians, 
and I saw on one bus as we were driving along, right on the back of the bus in Spanish, it said, Jesus is my friend, on the back of a public bus. And there were things that touched my life and enriched me again. This young man right here kept me from falling down mountains and all that sort of thing. And they made it worthwhile for me. And so I think whenever the, the Lord called, taps me on the shoulder and says, Jones, that's it. When I go there, I'm going to go away richer because I've known these folks, all of them, every one of them. I've known the people in the churches I've served. And God has been so good to me that I literally consider myself the most fortunate man alive. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity. So if you're thinking about maybe going on one of these trips and you say, well, there's nothing I can do. I didn't think I did anything at all while I was there. But I think Jesus Christ did a great deal. He did it through all of us. And that's what it's all about, is being an American, but first of all, being a Christian. And God can use us all. Thank Amen. you. Thank you so much, Mr. Aubrey. Uh, the last person you're going to hear from is Jeremy. Jeremy is one of the elders here at North Park. In fact, two of our elders went on the trip. And I think that says something about our heart for missions and where we want to go uh, going forward with Hope Project. So, Jeremy, if you'd share. How am I supposed to follow all that? <laughs> but I'll try. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank my wife for holding down the fort while I was gone, because I know it's a lot. And for me being out of the country and for being in a land that I knew nothing about, it's a lot. So thank you. I want to say that publicly. I love you. Um, for those of you that know me well, <clears throat> you know I don't like going to areas that I don't know or that I don't know something about. No, you know, someone within 20 or 30 miles I could call if something were to go down. And in this situation, I had to do that. Part of me, the week before I was about to leave, and I haven't told anybody this, I was going to do all my research, find out where the embassy was, see if we had anybody in country that I used to work with. I didn't do any of that. And I, I'm kind of glad I didn't. And the reason being I wanted my mind to be open. And then we almost lost Stacy and Angie at the airport. If you've ever seen that movie Argo, where Ben Affleck's trying to get everybody out of Iran, that's what I felt like. And I was like, we got to get out of here. Long story short, we did. Um, but kind of piggybacking off of the going where you know, Tice was talking about, you know, when the kids were playing and she made a hopscotch out of some stick in the, in the dirt area there. And these kids were, you would think you would have given them a gold mine. And they're just jumping and pretending like they're, you know, basketball players and they're just having a great time. And so we're, we're watching them interact with each other, Tice and, and, and the ladies are passing out bracelets. And, you know, we're, we're just kind of observing this little boy comes up to me. I'll never forget his face. He reminded me so much of Asa. He came up to me. He started speaking like Kim was saying. We couldn't understand what they were saying. I couldn't anyway. Thais was a translator. So, and she, she was away for a little bit. And he kept pointing over at something along the fence line. And there was a bicycle over there. I was like, oh, that, that must be his bicycle. His, his cousin or something was there with him. I said, is he saying bicycle? And he kept doing this. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. And finally, he said the word agua. And he pointed, he was pointing to our cooler that we had brought. So that particular day, we had met over at the, what was the former church they had. And when I say church, it's a dirt floor with a couple of sticks holding up whatever they could piece together to make a roof. That was what they considered their church. And so our water cooler's there. It's got our name on it and everything. We've got our little, you know, um, water bottles. He looks at it and he says, water, and he points to his mouth. So I went over to um, one, one of the guys was in charge that was with us, Stan. I said, can I give this little boy a cup of water? And I'll never forget it. He said, no. And I said, well, why? He's thirsty. He said, if you give that one little boy a cup of water, the entire village will be here, and we don't have enough. 
and Thad looked at me and he said, "There's, you know, we're, we're thinking about putting what we would consider like a small water tower, like like a water system where it's got a rain barrel and it filtrates the water." And that's what they're considering doing. I said, "How much is that?" He said, "It's three thousand dollars." I said, "Say it again." He said, "It's three thousand dollars." So I immediately went to Chris, and I think I went to Craig too. I said, "That's something North Park's going to look at doing." Because when you see a kid come up to you, not asking for a Capri Sun or a bottle of Diet Coke, Sunny Delight, whatever your flavor is, all he wants is water, and we can't give it to him, that's how he said it best. We have so much to be grateful for, so much. And these, these babies and these moms, these dads, these uncles, what, whatever is in that, that household, they're bathing in the same water that they're drinking. It's the truth. I saw a little boy put his head in, in, the, in the little trough, and I was like, buddy, you can't do that. And I'm thinking to myself, that's all he knows. But again, that was his water source. Kind of tied it all together. All my life, you know, you've been in church, and you hear when missionaries come through, and they say, you know, give this, give, give your time, you know, pray for missionaries. I won't say that I ignored that, but it went in one ear and out the other. Just, just being honest with you. Um, I have a new perspective on that now. It's a tough life. So if, if you've ever considered doing it, like Mr. Aubrey said, you can do something. I promise you. Thank you on the trip with us and you're still here if you would meet Craig over there at the door he's going to show you how to come on stage everybody that went on the trip that has not shared what we're going to do is we're going to come up and we're going to say a prayer and as they're coming up to do that uh, and the band can go ahead and head this way as well because we're going to we're going to finish up in a worship song right after a prayer uh, but as you leave today you'll receive this card and this card has a beautiful photo of our team on the front but on the back you can find out information about our next trip and there is a QR code and if you scan that, we know your exact location and you're signed up to give $10,000. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you scan that, it will take you to uh, Hope Project's website, but specifically a link for North Park for our trip for next year. And the reason we're already looking at next year, we already have the dates, is because it costs money to go. And we do not want money to be the reason that you're not a part of what God is doing there. And so the trip, honestly, is, is a little bit less than $2,000. That's your airfare, that's your food, that's everything. But we realize that's a lot. And so what we want to do is get this information in your hands quickly. If you have someone that's a part of your family that doesn't attend North Park that you think would be interested, you can share this information with them as well. We can take up to 60 people with us at a time. And so that is absolutely no problem as far as space. But if you've ever considered being a part of a trip and you just want information, would encourage you to go to this site. You can actually sign up if you'd like or just kind of look around. But here's two things I want to tell you before we pray. The first one is this. is uh, Jeremy mentioned the water. Uh, the water there absolutely is something that we are going to be sharing information with you about in December. Uh, we have found out the total price. It's going to be a little bit more than $3,000, uh, but we believe it's something that we can do and build up to to provide water. And we say provide water. It will be for an entire uh, town. It will be for a few thousand people to be able to have access to clean drinking water. And that is such a big deal, and we can be a part of that. The other thing is uh, we are going to have Than and Megan come back and spend time with us, most likely in February. And they're going to be speaking as well about Hope Project. Um, and they offer all sorts of different ways. One of the things that was mentioned was school. It's $50 per kid for the entire year for a child in uh, Nicaragua to go to school. And that covers their uniform, that covers their books. But most importantly, that covers a meal every day. And so they're able to get a meal at the church, but then they're also able to get a meal at school. And if they go to school it drastically changes their life. And so there are so many opportunities, and we're excited to partner with Hope Project um, and look at different ways that we can help resource them and, and partner with them. So this is uh, everybody except for Lindsay. Lindsay joined us on the trip, and she was not able to be with us today. Uh, but this is our team, and I'm so proud of them. And we all have matching shirts. Ian's going to share a poem before we... No? Okay. 
I thought Ian had a poem he was, that he had written, but, but that's okay. Uh, I will tell you this. You can ask any, anybody on the team a question when you see them afterwards. But you can ask Aubrey. Uh, but Angie is the best one to ask. Okay, Angie, uh, I appreciate her so much because I have, I believe, the most incredible wife in the world, Ashley. And I needed Angie to go so she could come back and tell my wife, hey, this is the trip for you. Because I've got big plans for the whole Sloan family to go. Uh, and there's about 17 of us. So we're planning on that. And I want to echo Jeremy. Um, I could not do that without Ashley. And I thank you so much, Ashley, for the sacrifice you make. Um, yeah, just your spouses, okay, if your spouse didn't go. Uh, but let's pray. And, and, guys, here's what I want to do. Uh, we want to stretch our hands towards you. And we want to pray for you, and we'd ask that you'd pray about missions. And we just want to pray for your heart and your mind and for our church that we would partner together. After we pray, the band is immediately going to go into another song. And during that song, I want to invite you to take communion. Uh, you received that when you walked in today, and we would love for you uh, to participate. We'd ask that you would just prepare your heart before the Lord, and you can take that on your own time at your seat. So let's pray, and then the band will come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the people here in this room today. And Lord, I'm so proud of the people that have been on this stage and as they've shared and so many important insights and so many important thoughts. But I think one of the best things in, when Thais was talking about this idea of thinking we were going to go and kind of do things for them, but the amount of things that they poured into us. And Lord, I thank you. We're not superheroes. We didn't do this. Holy Spirit, you did this. You used us and we said we are willing to interrupt our schedule. We're willing to interrupt our lives, but we will go, God, where you are working. And we will go and we will do what you have called us to do. And so I thank you, Lord, for North Park Church. I thank you, Lord, for the ministries and the different times we've gone to Ecuador and other places. I thank you for things like Mobile Market, the different ways that we can be a part, Angel Tree, different things that we do within our own community. But I also thank you, Lord, and pray that you'd give us a heart for missions in this church. That, Lord, we wouldn't be like the temple. We wouldn't just be in motion, but that we would be on mission. Thank you today for all that you've done and all you'll continue to do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.